This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 177. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the show that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Well, I'm very proud to announce our new supporter, Bartender, which helps you do inventory, ordering, and accounting in minutes rather than hours. They're all about making inventory easier and helping increase transparency for everyone, for bartenders, managers, owners, and, and beyond. Today, we have Angeli Kundra, co-founder of Bartender, on the show, and she's going to take us through her popular class, Cocktail Hacker, which she first presented at Bar Institute. It's all about finding your entrepreneurial spirit behind the bar and beyond. But first, let's do a book of the week. It's Good Things to Drink with Mr. Lion and Friends. You may remember we spoke with Mr. Lion, whose actual name is Ryan Cheek. Cheeky Wardana. Cheeky Wardana. I think I got that right. Uh, it's really hard to say. It's a long, long name. <laughs> anyway, we spoke to him several months ago. Right, how can we address the fundamentals about being a bartender? How do we look after people? How do we can take control of things? How do we make it a setting where we can spend more time with people? Yeah. And so we, we challenged the whole setup. We looked at the industry and went, oh, are there other ways of doing things? Can we stimulate a discussion here? But ultimately, can we look after our guests in a better way? Right. And, and we, we just took apart the things and we reconfigured it and, 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 and challenged that setup and took away the things that we couldn't control. Well, he has a brand new book out. It's a beautiful book, very well laid out. I like how each recipe has a little story that goes with it, and then uh, the method, and then something else called the magic. It goes along with each recipe. It's pretty cool. But uh, it's broken into a bunch of, well, let me read you the chapters, because uh, it's, it's great. We got uh, equipment, ingredients, technique, and syrups and bitters uh, is the beginning, and then it gets into the cocktail recipes, and they're broken up this way. Morning buzz, market fresh, summer social sips, El fresco days, pre-dinner, Friday nights, rambles, fireside serves, winter feasting, and the perfect G&T. So I uh, highly recommend this book. If you get on over to bartenderjourney.net, you'll see a link to it in the posting that goes along with this show, number 177. So uh, yeah, click through to Amazon and uh, get yourself a copy of this nice book. So let's do a cocktail of the week. Let's do the Paloma. The Paloma's in the book, the uh, Good Things to Drink book. And I know we did the Paloma once before as Cocktail of the Week, and uh, it's a delicious drink. I have it on the menu at my bar, and uh, we use a grapefruit soda. That's uh, It's a good, well-made soda uh, made with real cane sugar. And uh, But what is soda, if you think about it? It's bubbly water, a sweetener, and a flavoring, right? So uh, in uh, Mr. Lion's Paloma, He's sort of making his own grapefruit soda, which is really cool. So uh, he uses a pinch of salt, uh, Himalayan salt, uh, one tablespoon of lime juice, one tablespoon of pink grapefruit juice, one tablespoon of simple syrup, and two ounces of Blanco tequila. So, uh, yeah, you want to give that a little shake, um, add some club soda, and serve it over ice with a big slab of grapefruit, a fresh grapefruit for a garnish. Uh, delicious drink, for the, especially for the summertime. As I record this, it's the dog days of summer, August in New York, and it's hot. So uh, that would be a delicious beverage. I might just go mix one of those up shortly. All right, let's talk to Angeli Kundra. Freshman year of college, I believe I was pre-med at the time, and I fell in love with the restaurant industry. So I ended up meeting an entrepreneur who had opened a, a very successful restaurant downtown in Gainesville, Florida. His name is Hiro Lung, and he gave a talk at our entrepreneurship presentation class. And later on, I found out he was doing a, a new concept called Rolls and Bowls. <laughs> and so I ended up applying for a job there, and that's the first place I, I got to understand what kitchen culture was and, and really 
felt like I could be myself. Nice. So, was there a bar there? We served beer and sake okay. uh, and wine. So no booze. I was a hostess. I was there for, I don't know, for six years. I remember I got to the point where I would skip my organic, organic chemistry classes to work my shifts. That's how much I was in love with this place. And the biggest takeaway I had from my restaurant experience was, I don't want to say how to sell, but really how to connect with people and help people find what they want. And then I also learned about culture and how important it is to maintain an amazing culture. And culture is not a ping pong table. Culture is not only perks. Culture is an ethos. It's an environment that lets people thrive to be the best they can be. And that's really what I learned from Hero and Song, who are the owners at Dragonfly. Continuing forward, building this company Partender with my brother, I took a lot of that with me. Whether it was in sales, helping people figure out you know, what they don't know, uh, helping pe- people figure out what they need. Also, this idea of culture and how it can get you through the turbulence of, you know, a crazy tech startup, whatever it is. And so that was, this all was truly the inspiration of my talk slash class, Cocktail Hacker, where I want to push everyone, and, and of course, we're talking about bartenders, bar owners, industry here, really is applicable to anyone, um, to think, you know, how can we do things better and how can we make a job way more than a job and level the playing field? So that's kind of the, the inspiration of Cocktail Hacker. So the official title is A Lesson from Tech Startups, Finding Your Entrepreneurial Spirit and Ultimate Success Behind the Bar and Beyond. During this class, uh, kind of start off talking about what lessons can we learn from lean tech startup culture and practices to improve our business success, have stronger teams, and all be happier. And this isn't, again, not only applicable if you're an owner or manager, this happens from you know, every level. I remember I was, <laughs> I was a host at, uh, hostess rather, at, at Dragonfly, Rolls and Bowls, and I wanted nothing more than to be in the kitchen, but consistently got rejected for being too short <laughs> and a girl. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, you're never gonna be able to lift these cambros. Um, but that never stopped me, you know, I was probably the, I think I was the first person to launch our Facebook page, and I was always pushing, I was always taking advantage of the culture that Hero and Song built, and they made me feel like the restaurant was my own. Um, and so some of the takeaways we have from tech startups that I also learned at, at Dragonfly was, you know, viewing problems as opportunity, maximizing your professional success, and never forgetting about your personal success, because they're so tied together. So the next step I would like talking about is why the fuck am I here and teaching this class? And it goes back to the, the entrepreneurial journey and my entrepreneurial spirit, which I hope that everyone realizes that's within them. So I talk about, and maybe Hazel remembers this, but I talk about yeah, this story when I'm in college, you know, broke, there's nothing in the fridge. I come home, we have like chicken and popsicles. And I it was a a condiment fiend. I am a condiment fiend and I had a bunch of spices. So 30 minutes later, my roommates come home and I'm like, hey guys, I made you guys some orange chicken. And they, they thought it was the most amazing thing, whatever. And then later on when they found out what I put in it, obviously popsicles, they were <laughs> gagging. But really in this, you know, in this anecdote, I like pushing the idea of the entrepreneurial mindset of creating something out of nothing. Uh, looking at desperation as almost as a source of innovation and new ideas. 
And I always say that, you know, bartending, it's, it's really like your own little business there because it's up to you to make the money that night, you know, and you can make more or less if, if you're busy. And I mean, if you're friendly and, and bust your butt, yeah. you're going to make more money. And if you're not, and if you're, you know, if you, if you're back on your phone in the back bar, you know, or by the kitchen side station, you're not going to make any money that night. Yeah. And I think it's also about seizing those, keeping that positive attitude and, you know, oh shit, you're out of some special bitters that you typically use for some fancy ass drink. It's okay. The world will be okay. Like you might even discover something new from this. And so this is this idea of, you know, seizing problems and looking at them as opportunities, building new value. So continued why I'm teaching this class. I started a company with my brother called Partender. We launched about two and a half years ago. It's been pretty incredible. I think inventory sucks for everyone. So what we do is we help restaurants, bars, hotels, stadiums, you name it, you know, we have it, help them do their inventory ordering, accounting, and uh, trend analysis in a matter of minutes versus hours. And we do that with a few taps and swipes on iOS and Android, any device that you really have. The best line I've heard for it is Tinder for bar inventory. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually a very consumable way to think about it. And our goal with this was making something so easy that anyone could do it. And my brother was the brainchild behind Partender. He was actually stuck. Uh, sorry, he was not stuck. He was trying to meet up with a girl who was stuck doing inventory until 7 a.m. I hadn't heard that story before. Yeah. And she couldn't get her orders in. And so she, you know... I guess she was there, and he couldn't believe if this was actually a thing. He had come from neuroscience and had come across this problem. And so uh, when he realized, he did some market research, he realized this was, in fact, an issue, that the whole world is doing their inventory and so much of their operations on pen and paper. He decided to say, screw med school, and jumped behind the bar. So he did... I know that feeling, dreading the last day of the month. Yeah, (laughs) right. Exactly. And so he went ahead and... uh, I think he talked to over 800 bars. We went to Rio together. We went to Japan for just random things. And uh, I was kind of in a a phase where I was starting to do some consulting and do my own projects. Obviously, he's my brother, so I was a free advisor from the Uh, (laughs) get-go. There you go. Uh, I'd always worked in tech startups also. That's something I didn't really mention. But while I was juggling food and beverage, the tech startup world always enticed me because it was so different than the normal path. It, it kind of welcomed the black sheep, if yeah. that makes sense. But it's, it's fun when you're able to merge your interests. You know, I mean, that's how this podcast came to be. I had some expertise in audio and then, oh, awesome. and then love of bartending, and that's how this was born, you know? So yeah, it's no. similar, to, similar to your story, I guess. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> I think it's, it's magic when those two things collide. And, but one thing I will say is it is always, it's always hard and a grind, and I think people forget that. I think you know, you know this because I always see you out like just busting your ass and working at the bar and everything. So, yeah. um, But I think that's a, definitely a good takeaway. So anyway, in the class, I like going back after we tell the story of the bartender journey, where we are now. You know, we only, like I said, I, uh, we only launched about two and a half years ago, and we've had a lot of momentum. And I believe that a lot of this stemmed from Nick's initial philosophies of, um, that were attributed to Steve Jobs. So Nick always talks about this quote that changed his perception. And he says... Steve Jobs once said that everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. Once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. So I think 
This was huge for Nick. I had always questioned the status quo. For Nick, my brother, I don't know, you know, he was in a very segmented and uh, clear path towards med school. So once he met the girl who was stuck doing inventory and, you know, he'd always been very tech savvy. Um, so I like touching on the Steve Jobs quote because this is not limited to just Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. This is for every single human being on the planet. And so this is a, a takeaway that I like pushing in the class. So to give everyone an idea, you know, what are questions that we ask in startups? Um, I, w I like asking these questions and then prompting the class to answer. Um, so how would you answer, you know, behind the bar? What are your goals? Or rather, what are our goals? What are our goals as a business? How do we measure these goals? Yeah, it's so important. So, you know, so many businesses just kind of roll with it and see what happens. And they, you don't, they don't take their time to write out, like, write stuff out, you know? What, what are we trying to accomplish here? You know, right. What, yeah, so and often if you don't know what your goals are, it, uh, yeah, it doesn't help you achieve How do you know what success is, right? Right. <laughs> you're saying. And so, so often a place to start is you can start writing out what, what your problems are. If you're too deep, if you're too deep and you can't think at the macro level, at least you can uh, solicit everyone on your team to come together and figure out what are the problems because from those problems, you'll be able to get the, the opportunities that we talked about. Uh, number two, kind of going on the same trajectory of what are our goals. Why are these our goals? Who are we as a company? What do I personally want to achieve? And I think you're right, Brian, a lot of times we forget about this. This is also a big piece. Um, it's great to have goals, but if we don't have the why behind those goals, it's a lot harder to achieve them and feel the success when we actually meet those goals, at least in my opinion. Yeah, it's like, well, what's the old expression? If you, if you don't know where you're going, how do you know when you get there? Right, right. And so much of it is also the journey, right? Going, the, yeah. going through the ups and downs. So uh, lastly, and this is kind of number three, this question, set of questions is what I would say to ask, especially if you don't know where your goals are and where you are right now. But what problems do we face on a daily basis and why? And uh, what can we do about them? So again, this is touching on this whole entrepreneurial mindset of do we just settle for the status quo and settle for how things are doing? Or do we start collaborating together and figuring out what are our problems and how can we solve them. Yeah, I think you talk even more about this a little later, but it's, it, you see it so often in bars and restaurants where the, you know, management makes all the decisions and doesn't solicit anything from the employees. You know, like the employees know what the real problems are and how things could be better. And if you ask them, they'll probably tell you. Right. And if you don't, they'll just go along their daily chores and you know, can't wait to leave you know, and they're not invested. Yeah, 100%. And I, th I think that's a great point as far as being uh, invested. I remember with my, uh, go back to my story in the kitchen, my manager would, once every few weeks, would just like jump in and do dishes just to hear what, you know, join the camaraderie and everything. I think that's 100% right. Uh, even at Partender, we want to start, we try to maintain a collaborative environment because everyone has their own perspective and they can create value and, and you know, maybe even make a, an issue known that was not previously known to management. So hopefully this idea of, uh, I think hierarchies are always important because the manager is held accountable in a way that maybe the bartender or the assistant manager is not. So that's where hierarchy is important. But as far as collaboration, everyone should be held equal on that, 
that term, right? Like we should solicit information from but everyone. But I think you can tell as a manager who your star employees are and, and you know, you really want to know what they have to say and what they have, you know, what they're thinking and, and what they can offer to improve the place. And yeah. I think, and I think employees appreciate that too. You know, yes. uh, you know, you don't have to necessarily keep giving people more and more money all the time to make them stay. If you make them feel invested in the place and then, you know, maybe even literally a little investment in the place, yeah. you'll have a, you'll have a partner for life, you know, or you'll, yeah. have, you'll have a valuable partner. I totally agree with that. When my boss asks me for my opinion, even at the bar or wherever, it makes me, I mean, this is what happened to me in the restaurant, uh, it made me more invested without any equity or anything, right? You become, you're like, oh, wow, I can make an impact here and someone cares about what I think. And so now you're actually working towards something that might even fall outside your normal job description. Yeah. But you've been empowered with this you know, this moment to do something impactful. Empowered, that's the word. Yeah. You know, I've I been kind of struggling with this at work because they rely on me quite a lot and there's no other, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but there's nobody <laughs> else bartending at my level, you know. Right. And, but also, you know, I've, I've been a manager before and I can, I can manage the floor and a lot of times I'm doing it while a manager is not paying attention or busy doing other things, you know. Yeah. But, but nobody's ever given me, you know, nobody's ever told them, listen to Brian, when he tells you something, do it, you know, right. and that's a problem. Right. You know, so like, how do you, how do you approach that? I would I ask you and not to put you on the spot or you don't have to answer, but what would you think of an idea where you were the one that brought it up? Like, how do you feel, uh, you know, like in this dynamic or paradigm where I think your situation is more common, right? Yeah. So is there, do you feel the culture where you work allows for you to at least be proactive and say, hey guys, I have this idea. I think this would be super big. I know this traditionally falls out of my job description, but I really want to help. Like, I love this place. Yeah, yeah. So if you approach the management like that, do you think they would be receptive or do you think it would be more of a, yeah, okay, yeah. cool, Brian. Thanks. It's Well, there is one, there, there is one new manager who kind of gets me and <laughs> he, he wants to... Uh, he actually has been talking about like how are we going to utilize you better and all this stuff. You know, we're going to talk about it in the future. You know, and then it never really happens. But right. but I mean, I I could approach him that way. But but it's also like, well, if you're not going to pay me any more money, I don't know if I really want any added responsibility necessarily. You know, right? So there's that side of the coin too. So I think that, and I'll touch on this later in my presentation. But I think you can have a win-win-win situation because I agree, right? There's all these caveats like, oh, you want me to do more work, but can I be compensated and how, you know, where, when are we actually going to do this? So those two points are definitely there uh, and I'll touch on them later. Hopefully we can solve that, that, that question. Uh, and this, this goes back to uh, really my next slide is about what is your job description? What do you own? Uh, so it's all about business goals and KPIs for everyone. This, now explain this, what KPI is. Hmm? What are they? Yeah, KPI. Key performance indicators. Indicators. Uh, right. Yeah. This is something that, again, we're using this lingo because this is something that is very prevalent in any kind of corporate job, tech startup, and I think it's a fair, uh, a fair thing to bring up behind the bar or restaurant because it ends up helping everyone figure out which direction they're going and what success is on an individual basis. Not just, okay, guys, if we make you know a million dollars in revenue this year at the bar, we're solid. But how does that reverse engineer and cycle down to me. How, what can I do to hit that? And what are some other goals that I might have that might not be represented in that hundred or in that $1 million revenue? So 
We talk about every team should have a goal, whether behind the, behind the code or behind the bar. That's what leads to accountability. So as a manager or, or owner, what I would say is set goals for yourself and for your business as a whole. From this, you can reverse engineer goals for your team. If you're a teammate, kind of like you, Brian, um, rally your managers and team to set goals and be a part of the discussion. So you're not just an afterthought, right? And so you can push and say, look, I, will, I promise you I have feedback. Uh, I just don't come here to blindly sling drinks and then peace out. Like, <laughs> I'm working my ass off because I want to help. Um, if you're unsure of how to set goals and KPIs, which is, it, it is a very hard thing to do because it actually makes you uh, reflect on how you're doing, right? There's this idea of ignorance as bliss. And I think this comes back to even things like inventory, right? Like, oh, uh, we don't need to do inventory. We trust our bartenders. Yeah, every, you should trust your bartenders. It's not about that. You still count the cash in the register, right? Because that's a metric that you use. Oh, okay, good. We were only $20 off the till, or whatever that is, that's just a benchmark. If you're trying to start putting in your goals and KPIs, it might be a little difficult because people will start having to hold themselves accountable and it might be something that you've never done before. And you might have to hold yourself accountable now, right, as a manager. Um, so it is, it's definitely easier said than done, but the effort and the work that you'll pull into it will have 10x, 100x the results. And I believe everyone will be happier. Uh, contracts. Do you guys do contracts at your bar? No. So, you know, I feel like contracts often get overlooked. Even in even our restaurant, we didn't have a contract with, with an employer, an employee. But it's a very basic piece of paper, and it, you know, maybe it's just a formality, but hopefully that piece of paper can actually relay, hey, you know, Brian, I want to hire you for this. I hope that by bringing you on board, we're able to serve X amount of more customers, or we're able to like crush it on the line, you know, whatever it is. Well, it's it's so important too, just to have things established ahead of time, you know, because it, it's easy for people to feel like, as an employee, well, you know, why do I have to do that, you know? But yes. you know, if you have it before you even start, well, this is this is what you do, or even if, you know, even after the fact, post it on the wall and say, you know, these are your jobs. And you're right. like, okay, that's that's what I do. Exactly, and it's that's a, such a good point. It's about managing expectations, so people know where they stand. But it's also about, you know, you're not going to put every single task that you have to do as an employee. That's not going to be on your contract, but on your contract might be be a great, you know, help generate X amount more revenue for the company or um, deliver amazing customer service. So the second that you say as an employee, oh, hey, I don't know, like this might fall out of my line of work or, you know, I, I don't want to do X. Well, if X is actually delivering amazing customer service, then maybe there's some validity to that. And maybe as an employer, this will help you circle back. So and then usually at the end, it'll say something like, and anything else we ask you to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, 100%. That will, that will happen. So... If I'm hiring, if I have that contract in front of me, if I have that job description in front of me, it also opens up the conversation so you as an employer can learn more about me as a potential employee, I think, or employee. I think other goals that we as an industry should try to achieve are uh, decrease in employee turnover. Um, if you have a lot of attrition, a lot of loss in employees, um, maybe start looking at that saying like, do we have mishires? I know the industry, it's, it's very hard right now. People cannot find good, I mean, bars and restaurants can't find good people. Yeah. 
right? But why is that? Has anyone started to dive into the why, or are we just complaining as an industry? Yeah, I don't know why. I guess, well, there's so many new places opening that want to do craft stuff, and there's just not enough supply to meet the demand, right? Right. I mean, that could be. It could be supply and demand, but maybe it's about also, how can I, as a bar owner, a bar manager, manager, make my, my company or my bar the best place to work? What will keep people here? What do people want? Yeah. Right? Why do people leave? Yeah. If it's just about money, then you're not going to, you know, people will just be hopping around from one place to another. Um, but the way that we get people, how do we get people to stay at a tech startup where you have to get underpaid, you're sleeping on the floor sometimes, uh, it's a roller coaster, right? It's like very much similar to working uh, in the industry. And it's only with, uh, having some sense of ownership, but sometimes not even, and then having that culture. So I think if you can go back and, and look at, um, you know, why are people leaving? Do things like exit interviews, figure out, does, does my culture actually match my goals? Like, who do I want to I wanna be as a, a manager, as an owner, et cetera? Uh, it's, a, it's a huge under, undertaking, but like I said, it, a lot of these things that we have to do on the tech startup side, that if bar owners, managers, bartenders, et cetera, if everyone did that, uh, everyone did that as a team, it could have a lot more benefit and it would benefit everyone, not just the guy sitting at the top. Uh, and then the, the last thing is uh, on that nature of business goals and KPIs, like if you're unsure, start doing employee surveys and feedback, kind of like what you were saying, right? You have so much to offer at your country club and you're, you're the best bartender there. You've obviously had management experience. No one is still sitting your feedback. And actually, as a result, your company, your bar is missing out on that opportunity. And it, and it makes my job harder sometimes, too. Like, you know, if we have a big event for 200 people this weekend, I, you know, we do literally have an event for 200 people this weekend. I don't know anything about it yet. And I've been trying to get information and nobody's <laughs> given it to me. And I'm like, you know, I need to, I can't pull a party out of my ass in t three hours. Right. And you are, know? <laughs> are you, so are you expected to do the part? Like, what is your job? For well, that party, these events are usually at portable bars, so they're you know they're uh, everything you need. You got to bring with you. You know, there's no soda gun, there's no ice, there's no refrigeration, right. there's nothing. You know, so right. like what I say, pulling a party out of your ass. It's like yeah, you, everything you need, you got to get to that bar, and then there may be a second portable bar, and there's you know they're de facto expecting me to manage you know three other bartenders. Right. So and has that been? So has that been relayed to you? Do you know that you're managing three other bars or bartenders? No, but, you know, they, they have me come in an hour before everybody else. And they have, you know, and like, Brian, can you make sure such and such happens? Like, right. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> okay. it's, definitely, it's definitely, again, like such a fast-paced environment, just like Yeah, tech but it's startups. like, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know, is this crowd going to drink a lot of beer? Like, right. you know, our beer is not kept, our bottled beer is not kept cold. So it's got to be oh, cold wow. when we open it, when we open the bar, right? Right. So, you know, but involve me in the process. Right. The, you know, from the, at an earlier stage. Right. Do you know why, do you have any, I guess, hypotheses on why you weren't included or why? Like, why well, does, I mean, obviously it's like a commonality across, this used to happen to me too. So like, yeah. why do you think well, this I happens? Th I think, you know, a lot of times management thinks they know what to do and they're going to get it done and then, but... Also, we're in a weird situation. We have a lot of different properties, and I'm not in the same building where this event's going to be, and where the general manager and the other manager are on a day-to-day -day basis. So right. I don't, I don't physically have a lot of 
contact with them, you know, and I don't have an account. I don't have a, a company email address, so I'm not in on those emails. And, and so they, I don't know, but yeah. they, they do. <laughs> that's where I'm at right now is this weird line. Like, do I want to get more involved? Are they going to pay me more for it? Or should I just, like I say, show up and do what I can and right. leave? <laughs> I mean, I think, if, you know, there's always an opportunity if you can open doors. There's, I think it's called the canvas method. But if you can help others open doors, that actually opens doors for yourself. Uh, Ryan Holiday, who is an amazing marketer, and he wrote the book, Trust Me, I'm Lying. It's like a media <laughs> confessional. It's really good for any of you bartenders, bar owners that want to uh, spruce up your marketing and PR for your bars. I definitely recommend it. It will make you a little misanthropic about society, but I think just working <laughs> behind the bar does that. So uh, yeah. at least it used to do that to me uh, when I was behind the line for food. So anyway, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm interested to hear, Brian, your story and see how it plays out. I would encourage you to to push your management so you can show them what you're made out of. Yeah. And it'll be fun to circle back in like a month and see how it, how it went. Yeah. So almost like, you know, if you think about everything in tech and startups is an experiment, is a hypothesis. It's like we have, form a hypothesis and then we execute on it or we test it and then we measure it and then we determine success. So a lot of this, what we're talking about right now, is we can't make blind assumptions. What, will this work? Will this won't? It's really about testing it out and seeing, and then right. determining your own happiness, right? Yeah. Is it successful? Like, oh yeah, they gave me a lot more work now. Yeah, and yeah. I don't that's like kind of why I didn't want to be the manager anymore, so that's the other side. <laughs> right, oh man, so much good stuff. We could go on forever. One of my teammates, Julian Miller, who actually was selected as a Diageo World Class uh, finalist for the South, uh, Southeast, he did a great, a great uh, talk on metrics, and it's called Giving Inventory the Finger. And it's really about giving POS the finger. Like, think about usability and point of sale systems. Like, how much do you love your point of sale system? Uh, what's the opposite of love? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, and it's because it's just a not, and you know, it might be something inherent within POS, but you could never have every single permutation of cocktail in there. Yeah. In our restaurant, when we had a new special, do you think our owners went ahead and our GMs put in the button into the for the like P mix? No, because we had like dinner rush, and we don't have time to reboot Aloha. Like, right? Like it's it's crazy. So anyway, that was my little rant on <laughs> why we need to not only question the way we do things, but what we're looking at for, for success. Um, so like I said, looking at your target costs versus your actual costs, not just looking at your beverage costs over time, because there's some really good uh, nuggets of information in there. And like I was saying, Julian Miller, um, he taught a class, a few classes at Bar Institute on this, um, on giving POS the, the finger. So I'll make sure I can, uh, maybe I can send that over to you. Yeah, we have a recording, that. and maybe everyone who listens to Bartender's Journey can have access to it. So right, cool. we'll do oh, that for you great. guys. Awesome. Yeah, it'll be a great follow-up, and it's like kind of nerdy and super good. Think about new ways to measure success, right? Profit, revenue per hour, open, you know, like there's, there's yeah, a bunch of different 20, ways. Yeah, what's this 20 rule that you refer to here? So there's this idea of 20% of my input equals 80% of my output. Mm. Uh, our restaurant in Florida, uh, not mine, but the, a sister restaurant, was open during lunch on Saturdays. And it was open forever until they realized that majority of their revenue was not coming on those nights. Um, it was coming from, you know, dinners, Monday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. 
And so these are very, when I'm talking about this, like very basic in Julian's talk, you can get super nerdy and start looking at your beverage costs on slow nights to figure out what can I push more of? How can I do really cool? Like with Julian's talk, he'll actually teach you when to stay open on a slow night and how that can positively impact your business. So really cool stuff because he was, he's done everything from bartending to bar ownership management and he was even an importer with spirit. Yeah. So he's some great, great, uh, and he knows how to make a mean cocktail in a, like in a hotel room. Like he's a true (laughs) cocktail hacker. So anyway, we'll make sure to get him on at some time, but at least give you guys a video. Uh, And then one other piece I forgot, but just like, look at your dead stock over time. How is that decreasing? Right? Like, it's so funny for people who don't do inventory or don't really crunch a lot of numbers. We're not telling you guys to be like calculus nerds. Just, <laughs> just do something, right? <laughs> do something. Uh, <laughs> you'll see that a lot of times they're like, oh yeah, we know stuff isn't moving because there's dust on it. Okay, cool. <laughs> Did you ever think about just tracking that so you could take that information to your, uh, your supplier or your rep and be like, hey, John, uh, this like bartender booze is not moving so great. Can we do a, like, look, it's just like flatlining. Can we go ahead and take this um, and do some kind of buyback program or something, right? So when we talk about, and I don't mean, I don't want to make this about bartender, but I'm just trying to talk about transparency. For us, when we talk about doing inventory, it's about increasing that transparency and helping everyone at every level. So no, we don't say, do your inventory so you can catch your bartender stealing. It's like, do your inventory. So maybe you can, just like you count the cash in the register, you can see what's moving and what's not and use that for better promotional programs. A lot's revealed when you do an inventory. You know, I mean, like you say, oh, there's that bottle again. Nobody's touched it. And another month right. went by it and like nobody's touched it. To you, right? you remember. Yeah, like, maybe we should do something with that. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just one example of things that happen yeah. when you do inventory. My favorite piece about this is this talk is about culture. Culture, again, doesn't mean like a ping pong table or like free booze for everyone necessarily. It means, you know, really honing in on what are your core values? Like, how do you attract and, and keep amazing talent? How do you keep people uh, and employees happy so they can keep your customers happy? And then how do you actually cultivate ideas into um, something executable that your employees can be a part of? And it all ties together uh, for culture, in my opinion. What's this book you suggest here? Delivering Happiness. Yeah, that so homework cool. for everyone. <laughs> uh, read Delivering Happiness. It is an amazing book. Um, so Tony Shea, he's the founder of Zappos, and he talks about he talks about b- delivering this great culture that no, not only trickles to his employees, but how that trickles down to his employees' customers. And I, you know, you see that a lot in hospitality. Like if you're gonna if you have an amazing culture in your bar or restaurant, like you're gonna see that the second you walk in as a patron, totally. right? Like yeah. it's, it's amazing. You, you know, you go to places like, let's say uh, Herbs and Rye in, in Vegas, you know, and I, I heard about it and you know, that it's a great team and everything. Yeah. And then I finally went there. I was like, you feel it the second you come in. Yeah. These people are happy to be here. Yeah. And, oh, they're, and, they're, and they're, you know, it's their business just as much as, you know, Nectali's, so. Right, it's like, exactly. It, it, you see it in their faces the That's second amazing. you move in, you know? Yeah, how was your, how did you like herbs and rye? I loved it. It's amazing. I did you go it. for the steak happy hour? What's that? Did you go for the happy hour? I don't know if no. they do those anymore. Uh-uh. When we went, uh, at, I think it was a few years ago, but they had the steak happy hour, so you get all their steaks for 50% off. Oh, wow. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah, Nick Talley's an awesome guy. He's, I've, I've told this story on the show before, but I, I walked in there, like I said, never been there before in my life. The bartender, like, 
goes out of, I was by myself at the time. Yeah. I walk in, the bartender goes out of his way, comes over, shakes my hand like we were long lost friends, hadn't seen each other in 10 years. That's awesome. <laughs> it was just like, wow, I this is an that. experience, you know? Right. And you know that bartender probably walks in every day feeling like this bar is his, right? Yeah. It's like, that's the most amazing culture. Right. Exactly. That's how I felt walking into my, like, my sushi QSR. Right. And it's just a, yeah. you know, like, oh my God, my I have voice. to wipe the table. It's like dirty, even though I'm yeah. off today. It's like, <laughs> those are the most amazing, uh, yeah, those are, the, that's the best culture you can create, in my opinion. Well, we talked for quite a while and there's more to that talk and uh, maybe we'll sneak some more of that in, in the next, uh, in the upcoming weeks. Stay tuned for our toast. We do a toast every week at the very end of the show. So uh, stay tuned for that. But I'll remind you, the website is bartenderjourney.net. You can find me on Twitter at barkeeptips and you can find the Facebook page. Just search for Bartender Journey on Facebook. And uh, many, many thanks again to our new supporter, Partender. And check them out at partender.com and they will help you. They will help you get your inventory done faster, more accurately, and make the whole experience a lot more pleasant. Oh, and remember, we're going to have a link uh, to the deck, this slideshow that goes along with Angeli's presentation. So that's uh, definitely worth checking out on bartenderjourney.net. All right, here's our toast. And this is from Ernest Hemingway. Always do sober what you said you do drunk. That'll teach you to keep your mouth shut. Cheers, we'll see you next time on Bartender Journey. The lid is off with the downfall of prohibition being celebrated in real old-time hilarity.